The Last Word with Matt Cooper. For today's Culture Club, I'm delighted that we are joined by someone who has been a regular guest on the programme over the last couple of decades. A brilliant war correspondent, also very insightful from her stints as US correspondent and Paris correspondent with the Irish Times. And her book, Love in a Time of War, My Years with Robert Fisk, was one of my favourite books of recent years. And I remember really enjoying the conversation I had with Lara about that book when it came out. But she's back for different reasons for the Culture club today. Lara, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. You are delivering the Dr. Tom Walsh lecture at the Wexford Festival of Opera in November. Now, hang on, an opera festival. Why would there be lectures delivered during an opera (laughs) festival? Uh, Good question. Uh, The theme of the opera festival is women in war. And whereas I, I love opera, but I don't really know very much about it, but I knew, I do know a fair amount about women in war. Uh, and I think that the organizers, I mean, I can't speak for them, but I met uh, Rosetta Kuki, the, the, the director last night at um, Trinity College Dublin, and they wanted to give a, a real edge, a hard edge um, to the festival. And I was really fascinated to see how much the representations of women in war in opera resemble real life. Um, so we're sort of matching up our two experiences. Because the title of the lecture is From Innocent Victims to Daring Warriors, Real Life Stories of Women in War. And you have come across those innocent victims and the daring warriors so often during your times. And of course, also in the book, The Things I've Seen that you wrote about. Is well, it nearly always men, though, that you end up talking to? Because there might, the perception may be that men are the ones who go to war more often and men kill men. Absolutely. Uh, one of the, I was just in Ukraine for two weeks for the Irish Times and I asked almost everyone I interviewed, do you think war is different from men and women? And they all said, no, it's the same because the human soul is the same. I was a bit surprised, but I thought a lot about it and I think it's, there are two main differences, which are that men take all the important decisions in wars and women are the ones who suffer the most severe consequences. And until the Ukraine war, um, all of the, the fighters, the combatants who I interviewed, for the most part, were, were almost always men. Uh, but this time in Ukraine, I talked to several women who are fighting, who are on the front lines, and it was fascinating. And they certainly share the same motivation as, as the men who are fighting. Um, but then in, in addition, there are about 60,000 women in, in the armed forces in Ukraine. But in addition to those women, the vast majority of refugees are women. Um, it's the women who do the mourning, uh, the widows I've interviewed. Uh, I mean, men are also losing female relatives, but it's very much skewed uh, in the other direction. Uh, so I talked um, last night at Trinity, and I will talk in, in Wexford, about the refugees, about the women who are in mourning, also the women who've been raped, which is unfortunately something that happens in all wars. Um, but also about the women fighters, the brave, courageous, resilient, amazing Ukrainian women I met. How hopeful would you be that this war will be ended at some stage reasonably soon in Ukraine, or can we have any hope? I don't know. Um, I think that it will end suddenly. That's my gut feeling. Um, uh, Podolyak is an advisor to, to Zelensky said a few weeks ago that he thought it would end as suddenly as it started. 
as, as unexpectedly. And that's always been my gut feeling. I think something Why? will happen. I mean, remember the Prigozhin um, revolt in, in June? Nobody expected that. That just happened totally out of the blue. It was just a complete surprise. I think the situation is very volatile. I think um, Vladimir Putin has a lot of enemies. Uh, something could happen to him. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Do you suffer in any way from post-traumatic stress from all of the things that you've witnessed and written about during your years? I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I've often asked myself the question. Uh, I think that journalists go to wars to to tell other people's stories, not to suffer. It's the people who are there who are suffering, not not us. Um, but you I, have put yourself in danger at times, and you've seen firsthand terrible things happen. I have. Um, I've seen a lot of dead people. I've seen a lot of wounded people. Uh, I've been shelled many times, bombarded, shot at by snipers and, and, and so on. But um, I don't enjoy that part of it. Uh, but what I do enjoy is feeling like I'm covering the most important story in the world. And knowing that people are reading it, that makes a huge difference. And it's fantastic to come to Dublin and to meet people who say, oh, I read your story about the women soldiers or I, I read your story about the, the war orphans in Ukraine or whatever. And that, that really makes it all worthwhile. No. This culture club we're doing so presumably there are times when you take refuge in music and movies and books and as a distraction from your work in war so we always ask every guest to nominate the first piece of music that they ever remember <laughs> buying and it's usually a single what was yours uh, I'm I'm really embarrassed by it, my terrible taste as as a pre-adolescent but I bought the monkeys uh, who theme yeah. tune? Pardon the theme tune from the monkeys. Yes. Is What's wrong with that? That's what lots of kids <laughs> were listening to back then. And the monkeys have aged better, perhaps, than many other things. Uh, perhaps. I mean, they seem like a joke to me now. But at the time, you know, I was a, a teeny bopper. I suppose we were. It, it was mini skirts and twiggy and you know bright fluorescent colours and. Um, uh, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Let's hear a little bit of it. Here we come, walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. But we're too busy singing to put anybody down. We go where we want to. Do what we like to do We don't want time to get restless There's always something new Hey, hey, we're the monkeys And people say we monkey around But we're too busy singing To put anybody down We're just trying to be friendly Come and watch us sing and play We're the young generation The monkeys from back in the 1960s. Very much the sound of California, them and the Beach Boys and others. And that's where you're from, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. What part of California? Oh, Southern California. I was born in Whittier, which is where Richard Nixon was born. And I grew up in Covina, uh, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, and later in Riverside, uh, which is next to San Bernardino, which Ernest Hemingway described as the armpit of America. 
um, on the edge of the desert on the way to Palm Springs. Uh, but we, the, the big cultural event in Southern California was going to the beach. And we did that. We used to have um, picnics on the beach and barbecues and hot dogs and um, corn on the cob. And do you ever go back to California now? Not very often. I went back uh, last October because my darling niece got married. And so I, I went for the occasion. But it's not a place that you miss as such, is it? No, no, not at all. Okay, well, we'll get to some of your places that are very much influences on you as well. Uh, we asked you to name a favourite album, and you've gone for a Sinead O'Connor album. Which one is it, and why have you picked it? It's uh, Sean Nuenos, and I've picked it because I, I love it, and also because she very sadly passed away recently. And when I heard the news, I put the album on, the, the CD on, and I listened to it over and over and over. And it's it's one of those few albums where I know every track and, and just... Just love it. The, the music really speaks to me. The track we have is Peggy Gordon. Gordon from Sinead O'Connor's Shanos Nua. That type of music, is that something you would associate with the Ireland you came to live in and love? Oh, very much so. Very much so. That that album, other songs too, like Molly Malone and The Parting Glass, really encapsulate my Irish experience. Um, and Peggy Gordon I love especially because it's it's an anthem to um, unrequited love. Uh, when she When she sings tell to me the very reason why I'm why I am slighted so by thee um it's a real heartbreaker that line and and I think everyone in their life has felt that at some time yet it's back in America that you've picked out your favorite band and you've gone for Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band that's right and it's funny because it's not really me in the sense that I'm middle class from the west coast and Springsteen is sings about the working class on the east coast it's very much sort of rust belt uh you know blue collar absolutely absolutely and yet I love it and I think it's it's universal it it kind of surpasses uh, the country, the the social class, everything. It's it's the human experience. And it's also just great music. Let's hear from the 1975 album Born to Run, the title track.
Shorter Run by Bruce Springsteen, which is only two years short of being 50 years old, and yet it sounds every bit as fresh, and the lyrics are every bit as relevant now. Absolutely, and uh, it just struck me listening to it for the thousandth time in my life that it, it's really an invitation to adventure. Um, it's about we're going to go out and, and do it. We're going to see the world. We're going to live our lives, you know, to, to hell with being stuck in this hole. Um, that's that's what it means to me. When did that hit you? Because you definitely are addicted to adventure, given all <laughs> the places, the war zones you've gone around the world. Um, it just hit me now that that's what that song is about. But um, and why it's I, relevant to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but what was it that triggered it for you? That, that desire that, to, to go and find out about the world and report upon it. At what stage in your life did you decide you wanted to do that and why? I think I was never really a child. When I was, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old, I wanted to be 16 or 18. And when I was 16 or 18, I wanted to be 25 or 30. I, always, I was always projecting myself into the future. And I always knew there was something else somewhere else. Uh, and I, I was always just determined to, to go there and try it and, and find it. I, I think that um, inactivity, that, that just quiet acceptance of the status quo uh, is just not in my nature. It's just not something I could do. But going from the West Coast and living, I think you lived in New York for a time, didn't you? I, I lived in New York twice, actually, yeah. Um, and but, Dublin and Paris and Beirut as yeah. places to live, as well as all the places that you went and reported from. That's a pretty wide canvas, for, given that many American people don't see beyond the American borders. That's true. Um, I think that the, the primary obsession was France. Um, that's something that started when I was five years old. And I, was, I said, I am going to live in Paris when I was five years old. And I, I kept at it, and, and I, I did. And I've spent most of my adult life, uh, with the exceptions you mentioned, there was Washington as well. Uh, I spent most of my adult life in Paris, and I became a naturalized French citizen um, four years ago. And I'll probably die in Paris. Um, it's, it's where I belong. I think maybe I lived there in a previous life. Okay. Best gig you were ever at is one from Madison Square Garden in New York, and it was only five years ago, and it was an Irish band. No, actually, it was at the Bercy oh. in Paris, but it's the same concert tour you're talking ah, about. Ah, yes, yes, that's where we have the clip from, exactly. So tell us, you saw them in Paris. Yes, yes. I was very privileged. I was invited by, by someone who's close to the band. And so I got backstage and I got to sit in the VIP area. And I mean, I always liked you too, but to see them on stage as something is a whole totally different experience. And that show was technologically just amazing. The 360 degree stage so that everyone had an equal, you know, sight, line of sight of the, of the show. They, they had something they called a barricade and Bono was striding back and forth and the the cartoons sort of manga cartoons projected on these led screens and so on it was just it was a total show it was it was brilliant and the, the music was great the ambiance was 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 warm and and engaged and uh when they sang one i remember bonnet well everyone put up their um their light their torches on their their smartphones and and it was um it was magical the clip we have is actually from the same tour, but it is from Madison Square Garden on the Experience and Innocence tour. And the song in this clip is Iris, Hold Me Close. Iris. Iris. 
two from the Experience Innocence Tour of 2018. A favourite gig of Lara Marlowe, who's our guest on the Culture Club today. Lara will be appearing at the Wexford Opera Festival, not to sing, but to speak about stories of women in war. A tickets available at the wexfordopera.com website and her event is on on the 3rd of November. We have lots more from Lara Marlowe after we've had this break. Welcome back to the Culture Club here on The Last Word and Today FM. Lara Marlowe, a contributor for many years to this programme from the Irish Times, is with us today. And let's move away from music. And the movie you've picked doesn't really surprise me, I think, because <laughs> you've gone for Dr. Shivago. So for those who are not familiar with the movie or the story, tell us all about it. Uh, well, it's after a novel by Boris Pasternak. Uh, it takes place, I think it starts just before, well, it starts uh, just before the Bolshevik Revolution in Moscow. And Yuri Zhivago, played by Omar Sharif, the greatest heartthrob of all time, uh, is a young medical student. And he sees uh, Larissa, uh, played by Julie Christie. Um, he sees her twice. The first time her mother has attempted suicide because her lover is having an affair with Laura. I'm sorry, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting too deep into the, no, no, the, the okay. plot here. Anyway, and then the next time he sees her is in a restaurant and she walks in and shoots her mother's lover or tries to shoot her mother's lover, uh, played by Rod Steiger. And Zhivago is fascinated by this beautiful young woman. And then uh, life takes them separate directions. He marries uh, Tanya, played by Geraldine Chaplin, and she marries a young Bolshevik revolutionary, played by Tom Courtney. And But she and Zhivago are fated to see one another again. And indeed, when the First World War starts, um, there, she, he ends up as a doctor on the front and she's a nurse and they fall in love, of course. Let's get a clip, a scene from Dr. Shivago starring Omar Sharif and Tom Courtney. I've seen you before, Commander. When? Six years ago. Go on. Christmas Eve, you... You were there? Or has someone told you this? I attended to the man who was injured by your wife. Why do you call her my wife? I met her again. We served together on the Ukrainian front. If she's with you, I'm sure she'll vouch for me. I haven't seen her since the war. She's in Uriatin. Uriatin? The private life is dead. For a man with any manhood. We saw a sample of your manhood on the way, a place called Mink. They've been selling horses to the whites. No. It seems you burnt the wrong village. They always say that, and what does it matter? A village betrays us, a village is burnt, the point's made. Your point, their village. Kolya! And what will you do with your wife and child in Varikin? Just live. Take him away. He's innocent. Even mention of Ukraine there, Russia wow. involved in so many wars, and then the human stories behind the bigger picture war stuff. One of my favourite lines in, in all of cinema history, the private life is dead. Um, how many times have we heard that in wars? Do you watch a lot of movies? Um, I'm very careful about what movies I watch because I find that if I go to the cinema and I don't like the film, it puts me in a very bad mood. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't watch much television, do you? No, I, I sort of gave up on television a long time ago. I just I don't have time. I like reading. I listen to a lot of radio podcasts. 
Um, podcasts are great. I learn a lot from podcasts. Um, what sort of podcasts? News podcasts. Um, a lot of I subscribe to about a half dozen Ukraine podcasts now. Uh, BBC, the Irish Times podcast is, is actually very good. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Television, it just doesn't. I, I, I get impatient with it somehow in the in the advertising and so on. Um, but then we do have one from your childhood, which is a real California one, the Brady Bunch. <laughs> How long did you get into the Brady Bunch for? Uh, what happened with um, I was deprived of television until about age ten, I think. All my friends had it, and so we, my mother thought it was bad for for children, and so we would sneak over to our friend's house to watch TV. And then when we finally bought one, we just binge watched television, all the sitcoms, um, and they're all kind of the same, really. Just American life, um, you know, cheerleaders and and coming home from school and... As it happens the clip from the Brady Bunch we have is when Marcia tries out for the cheerleading squad against Jennifer, a girl who's interested in Greg. What's so important about being an old cheerleader anyway? It's a great honour. It shows you've got spirit. It helps you inspire people. And you get to meet all the football players. <laughs> Let me see now. I better try that one more time. Okay? Ready? And three, four... Show me who's going to score. Hey, that'll really fire him up, huh, Greg? No comment. What do you mean, no comment? If you're trying to influence me because I'm chairman of the judging committee, you're wasting your time. Influence you? I just wanted your opinion. Just because you're my sister, don't expect any favors. Who's asking for any? When I vote, Marsh, it doesn't matter who the contestant is. I'm going to be fair and impartial. Hello? Do you mind? I'd like a little privacy. My pleasure. Hello, Jennifer. I wanted to thank you for the movie. I just found out the craziest coincidence. What's that? I didn't know you were on the committee to pick the head cheerleader. I'm the chairman. What's the coincidence? I'm entering the contest to be the head cheerleader. You're entering the contest? That's the dream I've always had, to be the head cheerleader. <laughs> Wish me luck, Greggy. Bye. Bye. When I vote, Marsh, it doesn't matter who the contestant is. I'm going to be fair and impartial. Wish me luck. <laughs> that was watched by so many Irish children as well, of that generation. It was an enormous international hit which created this impression as was about the American way of life in the 20th century. Seems an awful dated thing now, doesn't it? Mm, it does, but it, it's, it was true. I mean, that's really what it was like and I don't know what it's like now. That's what you rebelled against a bit, was it? Um, I just wasn't really interested. I wasn't really interested in being a cheerleader or um, you know, Dating boys. The, the big brother in the, in, in the clip reminded me of my big brother, though. In what way? Um, just teased me a lot. We had a lot of rows, but now we're very, very close. And there's, there's nothing as good in the world as a, bro- as a brother. Um, it's irreplaceable. Uh, books or authors? You didn't give us any, but I assume you read an awful lot, do you? I do. I read probably too many newspapers and not enough books, um, but I, I do enjoy books, yes. What sort of books? 
I just on my way back from Ukraine a couple of weeks ago, I I, I read um, Olive again by Elizabeth Strout. She's an American novelist, and that that was just something light that I really enjoyed. Um, I'm reading Anthony Dewar's All the Light We Cannot See, which which won a Pulitzer Prize about seven or eight years ago. And I'd had it in, in my house in Ireland for, for many years, and I just never had time to read it. Um, I want to read a, a biography of Van Gogh now because I'm going to be covering a, a big Van Gogh exhibition in Paris for the Irish Times, and I'm, I'm, I want to read that. Um, so I read all kinds of books. Um, there's a, a new book out by Serhi Plahi, a, a historian of Ukraine, which I also want to read. Um, You're really invested in Ukraine at the moment, aren't you? You've really gotten into reporting on this war and understanding it. Um, I just, it's so important. It really is the most important story in the world. And it, it's, to my mind, the first just war since the Second World War. First just war since the Second World War. Yes, okay. I, I was a pacifist un, un, until now. And uh, this this war has reversed a lot of uh, sort of traditional attitudes. You have people like the German Greens who were pacifist, who are now ardent supporters of Ukraine in this war. And then you have people who were hawks in the past, like Henry Kissinger, who are saying, well, the, the Ukrainians have to give up some land and, and make peace with the Russians, you know. So, so it's very interesting the way it has, has reversed. Um, and how important is it, the role of you and other journalists, to try and bring impartial reporting to the forefront, given the level of misrepresentation that is taking place, particularly across social media? It's very important. Um, it, it's always very important in, in every war. I think that the real danger is that people get tired of it and they think, well, this is going to be another forever war. This is going to last for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, so we don't really want to hear about it every day. And when that happens in public opinion, then the politicians also let up. And you have in America now a majority of Republicans who don't want to keep helping Ukraine. And if the Republicans win the presidential election next year, um, that's, that could be very bad. But I, I think the Ukrainians are, are very self-reliant and I think they'll manage one way or another, I, even, even if the Americans leave them in it. To finish, Lara Marlow, we ask every guest to give us what we call a sort of a cultural buried treasure. And you have brought in a poem for us from the Czech Nobel laureate. Tell us about him and the poem. Uh, he was called Jaroslav, Jaroslav Seifert. Uh, he won the Nobel, I believe, in 1983. I actually once had the privilege of discussing him with Seamus Heaney, who was a big fan of, of Seifert's. Uh, he was a journalist. And he did not get along with the communist authorities in Czechoslovakia as it was then. But his poetry was so beautiful and his, his reputation and his fame were so great that the authorities more or less put up with him regardless. And my favorite poem by him is called A Letter from Marie in Bad, and which is in the Czech Republic, of course. And, and it's an old man looking back on his life um, with whimsy and nostalgia. And basically, it's a sort of autobiogra autobiographical poem. A lot of it doesn't really make sense, but the language is very beautiful. And I've chosen a very short passage Please read it to read to you. Now someone pulls at my sleeve and I awake to a face that is familiar. When I was young, 
I always believed you hid from me behind the trees. None of those I have met since were like you. And as if I were casually unwinding a soft yarn of wool for her, she said quietly, You know, I am very much alone and always the same. Those were my kisses. Lara Marlowe, thank you so much for joining us for the Culture Club this evening. Thank you for all your contributions over many years here to The Last Word and we look forward to hearing much more from you in the years to come, particularly given the deep interest that you have in Ukraine. That's something I look forward to talking to you about as hopefully the Ukrainians manage to push the Russians back out of their country. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.